0: I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 John. We continue our study on authentic living. Today we're going to look at the marks of an authentic believer. The, the uh, illustration that we've used through this series has been that, that wax seal that in the ancient world uh, authenticated the message that was in the envelope. The parchment, whatever it was, would be folded up, a wax would be melted on, and a special impression would be made in that wax to say, This document is authentic. We're going to look at a passage of scripture where John is writing about some marks of authentic believers. He's he's combating the counterfeit. Remember there were people within the congregation there, the congregations who were pretending to be believers who who professed to know Christ but were not genuine and and many times One of the best ways to recognize a counterfeit is to study the original. So I believe that's what John is doing in this passage as he looks at some true marks. These are not all the marks of an authentic believer, but these are three that we're going to look at today. Verse 1 in chapter 3, look at how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is breaking of law. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins. And there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him Does not sin, and everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. And the one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. And everyone who has been born of God does not sin, because his seed remains in him he is not able to sin because he has been born of god this is how god's children this is how god's children and the devil's children are made evident let's just stop right there let me remind you as we've gone through first john we've we paid close attention to the verb tense so what john is saying is a person who continually lives habitually in a lifestyle of sin demonstrates that he never did genuinely know Christ. And if a person genuinely, authentically knows Christ, he will continue to live habitually in a lifestyle of obedience. He's not saying that we will never sin as a believer. He's saying that will not be our lifestyle. So you all understand that as we're looking at this passage of scripture. Three marks, authentic, marks of an authentic believer that John highlights here. Number one, we have experienced the love of our Heavenly Father. The first mark he mentions right there in verse one. Look at how great... The love of the Father that has been given to us. We've experienced that love. Just recently, I've been reacquainted with the hymn. I don't know how old it is, but the first line in the hymn is, how deep the Father's love for us, us. how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only Son to make us his treasure. I love that. How deep. The Father's love for us. Now, this explanation of that, experiencing the love of God, we're gonna say, to make two statements from this passage. That love that He's shown us by His grace, first of all, makes us members of the family of God. Letter A, we are members of the family of God. He says, How great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. I love this translation. It says, and we are with an exclamation point. We have been called children of God, members of his family. I love that. It's been noted that an unbeliever who sins, and he even mentions here to sin is to sin against the law. An unbeliever sins against the law, but a believer who knows Christ, it's been said he sins against love, against the Father's love. Think about a story I heard about a teenager who'd gone out with her friends to just run around town, some small town, and and uh, they got to a point in the evening, they decided they were going to, uh, to make a change of uh, scenery and they decided to go to another place. And this, this teenage girl tells her date, You know, I think you better take me home. I'm not going to go with the group there. And they said, Why? She said, My parents don't approve of that place. So take me home. And one of the other girls said, Oh, are you afraid that your father will hurt you if you go there? She said, No, not at all. I'm not afraid my father will hurt me, I'm afraid I'll hurt my father. I think that describes where we are as followers of Christ. We don't want to sin because it's gonna hurt our Heavenly Father. We're members of his family. Family members act like a family, but secondly, that love that we've experienced reminds us that we are in relationship with God, in relationship with God. We're called God's children, and we are. Look at the rest of that verse there, um, the first verse. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him, and knowing him is not just to know about him, but to know him by experience. Remember we said that, do, do you know God? And some people say, yeah, I, I know God, I know about him, I've, I've read the Bible and people have told me about the stories and I accept it intellectually. We're talking about moving beyond that, that intellectual knowledge to knowing God by experience. You can hear about someone's love, Oh, that person is a loving person. But until you're involved in their life and they demonstrate that love to you, you haven't an experienced. And that's what John is talking about here. We're God's children. We're in relationship with him. In relationship with him. He says the world didn't know him. They didn't know him personally, but we do. What a privilege. Say one of the marks of an authentic follower of Christ is you've experienced the love of God and you know him personally. In the book, The Christian Atheist, Craig Groschel gives what he calls a litmus test. A litmus test that might shed light on on what it means to be in relationship with God. And he's a pastor, and he says this some people call me Pastor Craig, and that means they know about me, and and they give me that title, and they think they know me, but they really don't. He said, then there are other people who know me even closer. They call me Craig. He said, those are my close friends. They know a, a whole lot about me. He said, but then there's an exclusive group. And it's made up of a handful of people. And only this group can call me daddy. It's my kids. I thought that, boy, that's the same with my life and in my own family. They're, my kids have this special, intimate love relationship with their father. They're the only ones that get to call me daddy. I remember when Carissa was little bitty. She was like four years old, I think. And she was in a kindergarten our first pastor in Crystal City. And all the kids there called me brother Kevin. And one day she said, Daddy, you're brother Kevin to all them, but you're daddy to me. I said, yes, (laughs) that's right. This is what the, the Bible's talking about. We are in this special love relationship with the Heavenly Father. We get to call him Daddy, Abba, Papa. Number two, the second evidence or mark of an authentic believer is we have been impacted by the work of Christ we are impacted by the work of Christ. And he describes this work of Christ and that impact on us in verses 4 through 8. Let's just look at these first couple of verses here. Verse 4, everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is breaking of a law. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins. And there's no sin in him. First of all, the first work of Christ. By the way, the person of Christ is who he is. We're studying that in some of our Bible studies in some of our small group discipleship classes. The person is who he is, that he is God and human. And the work is what he did, that he came, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again. So we're talking about the work of Christ here that's impacted us. First of all, Jesus Christ came to take away our sins. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. Look at verse 5. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins. There's no sin in him, reminded of the passage of Hebrews where it says, he, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Psalm 103, verse 11 and 12 says, For as high as the heavens above, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. For as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? It's infinity. You just keep going and you're going to keep going. As far as the east is from the west, in Isaiah 43, Isaiah wrote, It is I who, for the Lord, it is I who sweep away your transgressions for your own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. I love that. He has taken away our sins. The sacrifice of Christ is that reminder. And John tells us what a privilege you have to know that your sins have been forgiven, taken away. There's a great illustration in Leviticus chapter 16 where we get the term scapegoat. When, when the children of Israel were bringing those sacrificial animals, there came a time of year where they, the high priest would sacrifice an animal for the people and they would designate a, a goat to be the scapegoat. And he would place his hands on the head of that goat to be a, a symbol of the sins of the people being placed on the head of that goat and that goat was led off into the wilderness. And the, the picture was God's taken your sins away. And we know the Old Testament was all picturing. It was all a shadow of things to come. So that was just merely a picture of what Christ would do for us. He would be the Lamb of God. He would take our sins on himself on the cross. He would take them away. What a powerful truth. Our sins have been taken away. But it's interesting, if you look at the the wording here, this, this reference to sin here, mentions specifically the sin of defiance. Not just sinning, where you, you'd do something you weren't aware of or sinning because you weren't, weren't walking in complete obedience, but, but sinning where you defy it. Like with our kids, we used to, we used to say, make sure your kids know the boundaries. Our, our kids wouldn't get a spanking for spilling their milk. Our kids wouldn't get a spanking for going in some place they weren't supposed to go if they hadn't been told by us that's off limits. But when we drew the line in the sand and said, do not step over that line, because if you step over that line that's disobedient, you're going to get a spanking. And some kids will just look at us and look at the line. Y'all have kids like that in your family? One of ours would go like this. The other one would go like this. That's willful disobedience. That's this sin that he's speaking of here. This sin of defiance. God has even taken that away. This shows you how old this story is. But the story's told of a girl who was standing up in the front seat of her car. A little girl in those days before car seats, even before seat belts. And Daddy said, it's not going to be safe. You need to sit down. And, and she didn't want to sit down. He said, we're not going anywhere till you sit down. So she finally sat down, and he started down the road, and she said, Daddy, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> That's that outward obedience but inner disobedience. You ever been there? Isn't it great that God has taken that away in Christ? By the way, be careful about making sure people follow the rules before we make sure they get a change of heart. We had a Christian school here for many years, and we had some great impact on a lot of families and a lot of students, but there were some who went through the school who who obeyed all the rules but you knew deep down in their heart there was, no, there was no yielding to the Lordship of Christ. They looked real good on the outside and as soon as they got free of this institution, they were on their own and they showed their true colors. Be careful of that. John says one of the marks is that sin of defiance is even taken away. Then it says next in verse seven and eight, I love this. Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. By the way, John believes in a personal devil, so do I. He said, little children, let no one deceive you. There were people there trying to deceive them. We talked about that last couple of weeks. The one who does what is right is righteous, and just as he is righteous. In other words, if you're a genuine, authentic follower of Christ, you will obey him. It will be your lifestyle. The one who commits sin is from the devil, or the one who lives a lifestyle of disobedience and defiance against God is showing that he belongs to the devil. The devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose. So the first purpose he was revealed, to take away sin. Now this purpose he's revealed, to destroy the works of the devil. Praise the Lord for that. This word destroy here doesn't mean annihilate. In this context, it means to render inoperative. See, we know that we still have an enemy. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter six, there are principalities and powers. The ruler of this age, Satan himself, still has control of this world, this age. So we know he's still there. We know he's still wreaking havoc. And if you don't think he's wreaking havoc, just talk to someone Talk to another believer and see how the enemy has tried to destroy their life. But his works have been rendered inoperative in the sense that they no longer have the power to control us anymore. One translator said to destroy her means to rob of its power. To rob of its power. There's a parable of the soils that Jesus taught about when the seed falls on good ground and some on stony ground, some on the path. He mentions in that parable that, that the devil will come and steal the word that has been rooted in people's hearts. That's what the enemy does. See, he can't cause the word to be inoperative, but he can steal it from your, from your hearts. Folks, he's a defeated foe. He's just making noise. That's all he's doing. He's making noise. He wants you to think he's bigger and badder than he really is. I love the one of the first accounts of, of psychological warfare, is back to the, the days of Alexander the Great. And he, and what a genius this guy was. He he commissioned his soldiers to make shields and swords and spears that were giant size, bigger than they could even carry. And they kept those spears and swords and shields for the opportune time when they'd be retreating from their enemy. And they would drop helmets and shields and swords that were bigger than they were, a trail of them. And the enemy would come upon that armor and realize, oh, no, these are some pretty big bad warriors we're chasing. Maybe we better back up and leave them alone. That's what Satan does. He just puts out this camouflage. He puts out this smoke screen to make you think he's bigger and badder than he really is. Folks, he's a defeated foe. History records that after World War II, on many islands in the South Pacific, Japanese soldiers who had gotten isolated from their troops were, were, were still holed up in those caves and places in those islands, ready to fight the Allies. And years after the war, they found these soldiers still fighting the war, even though the war was over. Folks, we need to let the enemy know the war is over. It was, he was defeated at the cross. Sin and death in the grave. Jesus came to destroy that power that he has over us. And we'll talk about that a little more in a minute. So the third mark. We've experienced the love of our heavenly father. We're members of his family in relationship. We've been impacted by the work of Christ. He's taken away our sins. He's destroyed the work of the devil. And thirdly, we have a new nature. A new nature. Look at verse nine. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin. And again, that's continually, habitually live a lifestyle of sin. Because his seed remains in him. And I, I believe there's all kinds of different uh, views of what that means, but I believe it's referring to the presence of the Holy Spirit within your life. He remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. In other words, it will not be something that comes easily for that person because he's been born of God. The Holy Spirit lives within him. A new nature 1 Corinthians 3, 16, don't you know yourselves that you are God's sanctuary because the Spirit of God lives in you? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I believe John's referring to that newness right there. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I I want us to to read that that whole passage there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. what What a great truth. From now on then, we do not know anybody in a purely human form. Even if we have known Christ in a purely human way, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. This calling that we have, this this ministry that he's given us, is because we've been made new, a new nature. Back to 1 John, looking at verse 9 again. Let's talk about that truth. Everyone who has been born does not sin because his seed remains in him. I'm just gonna say it this way. The old life has no hold on us today because I'm a new creation in Christ. The old life has no hold on me today. Now as a believer, there are gonna be times when I sin because, because that's the flesh, that's, the, that's that struggle that Paul talks about in Romans chapter eight. But it's not to be the, the consistent lifestyle he says in, again in 2 Corinthians 5 that all died in Christ. Has no hold on us. Our staff in our weekly discipleship Bible study came across this quote by Tony Evans and even prayed a little bit of it a minute ago. Listen to this statement. I love it. Tony Evans says, as a follower of Jesus, you don't fight for victory, you fight from a position of victory. You don't say, I'm going to try to be victorious over Satan today. Instead, you say, Jesus Christ has already been victorious over Satan. So today, by faith, I'm going to live in Christ's authority, trusting his blood to give me the power over any attacks of the evil one. That's authority. I love that. We live from a position of victory. The, The enemy no longer has a hold on us. Before I trusted Christ, I could not say no to sin. Sin was my master. Once I received Christ as my Savior, God's Holy Spirit came to live within me. He took up residence in me. He now has given me the power through Christ to say no to sin. Folks, it's a choice I have to make, but I've been given the power and the authority to say no to sin. Paul wrote in Galatians, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. Satan no longer has hold on me. Sin no longer has hold on me. But Carolyn Aaron tells a story about a missionary testimony to her church when she was younger. She said she didn't remember any of their testimony about their ministry. She just remembered one story they told about a snake. This missionary couple lived in the, in the jungle in a hut and, and a snake, a large snake, longer than a human body came into their house, into their kitchen and the family ran out and they're screaming to the villagers, help us, we don't know what to do. And a villager with a machete walked in and found that snake and whacked off the snake's head. And he walked out and he cautioned them, he said, don't go in there for a while because I don't know what it is about snakes but even after you cut off their head, the muscles are still working in their body. And he said... Just give it time to, for the body to recognize the head's been chopped off. And she said that missionary couple told how that snake wreaked havoc in their kitchen, flailing around and knocking things over and spreading blood everywhere until finally the body realized quite a while later that the head was chopped off. Folks, the enemy's been cut off. He's still flailing, but he has no longer, he no longer has a hold on us. The last thing to say about that new nature is we've been given that new life. That new life. Paul says we should no longer live to ourselves in 2 Corinthians 15. I like what Warren Wearsby says about this new life. He says we no longer look at life the way we used to. Can you say that? One of the marks of an authentic believer is you no longer look at life the way you used to. Everything is different. The circumstances, how they impact you, relationships, things that happen to you, you look at them differently than you ever did before. Paul says in Ephesians 2, we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. We walked according to the world. We were disobedient. But now God, who is rich in his mercy, we sang about it a minute ago, who loved us has saved us. We've been saved by grace, Paul writes. Not all the marks, but three incredible marks that we have of being a follower of Christ. If you're genuinely authentic kids, you've experienced the love of God, experienced his love and his grace. You've been impacted by his sacrifice and you're new, a new nature. Back in the 1960s, a group of assassins were commissioned from North Korea, 30 or so of them, commandos. They were sent to South Korea to assassinate the president. They encountered South Korean troops, so a battle ensued, and 30-something of the South Korean uh, soldiers were killed, and all but two of those North Korean communist commandos were killed. One escaped, and another was taken prisoner. His name was Kim Jo. He was taken captive and admitted that he was there to assassinate the president. But an interesting thing happened to him. After months of interrogation, he was befriended by a South Korean general. And through the months that they got to know each other, his heart began to soften. And I'm not sure where the witness took place, whether it was that general or another, but but this assassin came to a place of grace, receiving God's mercy. Later, he confessed, I tried to kill the president. I was the enemy, but the South Korean people showed me sympathy and forgiveness, and I've been touched and moved. He wrote, on that day, Kim Shinjo died, and I was reborn. I got my second chance, and I'm thankful for that. Folks, that's the new birth. To go from being an assassin to being a child of the king. That's evidence. Have you trusted him? Do you know that you know, not intellectually but by experience, that you've trusted him as your personal Lord and Savior? If you look at those three marks, if you look at those, the, the detail of those explanations and you say, you know, I, I look at my life and pastor, my life is more characteristic of a person who doesn't follow Christ it is of a person who does. Maybe you need to do a heart check. Have you ever been changed by the power of God? The Bible says if you'd be willing to admit that you're a sinner, believe that Christ died for your sins and rose again, you can be saved. We invite you to make that commitment this morning. Let's pray together.